Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A behind-the-scenes look at new flavors and the chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders who create them with your host, Emmanuel. Welcome to episode 40 of my podcast, Flavors Unknown. I am your host, Emmanuel LaRoche, and I have been working in the food industry for more than 20 years now, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I interview trending chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders to understand their creative process and discover new flavors that they are experimenting with. If you work in the food hospitality industry, or if you are a foodie, like I am, this podcast is for you. Last week, my guest was Chef Jamie Bissonnette from the restaurant Toro, Copa, and Little Donkey. You can find the show notes at the website flavorsunknown.com. Today, my guest is Chef Brad Miller from California. You probably have seen him in the season three of Hell's Kitchen with Gordon Ramsay or in his recent TV show, Food Truck Nation. Have you ever wondered what it takes for a food truck business to be successful? Stay tuned. Hi, Chef. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. I'm really excited to have you on. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be on it. (laughs) Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time because you are a very busy guy. I have to say, I don't know where to start because you have too many things going on, too many topics that I want to talk to you about. Just to cover very quickly uh, some interesting points, your youth, you know, in Illinois, where you were with your uh, father, butcher shop, then you've been into a culinary school in Arizona. Then uh, an exciting things that I want to hear a little bit about is your time on the Health Kitchen with Gordon Renzi, of course. You have your core of who you are, which is your restaurant, the inn, you know, of the Seventh Bay, Ray, sorry. And then you have even your own catering consultancy company called Brown and Butter. And of course, you are on a TV show called Food Trek Nation. So where do we start? Do we want to start maybe with your core business, like your your restaurant near Malibu? Yeah, I mean, um, kind of like every other chef in in the world, I started just like everybody else. I mean, I, I can start from the beginning. I can go quickly with it. No, we'll start like almost Copperfield-esque. I was uh, in my youth. I grew up in a butcher shop in, outside of Chicago in, uh, with my dad and my grandma always cooked just like everybody. And uh, I kind of just had a knack for wanting to cook, not being good at it. And then I, I basically got into foods in high school, uh, foods class. I took that and I was like, oh, I kind of, I, I really like cooking. And then my dad always cooked in the house. So, he, you know, we kind of always cooked together. And, uh, the, you know, my dad, the butcher. So I, I went from there. I just went from there. I just said, you know, I'm going to go to culinary school. So I went to culinary school, like literally right out of high school at 19 years old, like just turning 19. So I went to culinary school and I worked in Arizona at a bunch of great resorts and great restaurants. And I just, I had the path of most chefs. I worked under amazing chefs. Uh, I worked under some Michelin chefs and I just kept learning and learning and learning and working, you know, 17 hour days without days off for, 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 for my whole entire career. And uh, then I kind of, you know, went, I moved to LA to work at Patina, the Michelin star Patina. And uh, I staged at a few places and just basically kind of set my path out here and opened uh, the end of the seventh ray has been around for 45 years. And I, I went there to be the uh, executive chef. And then I was there for six years as the executive chef, got a bunch of 
cool things happening from there. Got them some awards and, you know, made, made the food amazing. And then I opened up two of my own restaurants in Santa Monica. I opened up Oxen Sun and Ashland Hill. And then I sold those. And I was offered to come back as a uh, part owner of the In the Seventh Ray. So that's what I did. I came back and I, I basically just skipped. Over, I, by the way, I skipped into like 12 years to 15 years. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, I, mean, I skipped. That's no, I, I, the boring part. Everybody knows if, <sighs> if you're a chef listening, you know, you know, yes, for 15 years, I had my head down and sure. I got yelled at a lot. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I kind of, then I ran, you know, now I have my own restaurant and I had my own restaurants before. And so where, where, where is it located? And it's near Malibu, correct? Yeah. Yes. It's right next to Malibu. It's to actually considered Topanga, which is a little city, but it's, it's Malibu. Yeah. It's basically yeah, Malibu. It's kind of a, a, a canyon, correct? Like the Topanga Canyon? Yeah. You know, yeah area? I mean, okay. It's right up there. Yeah. I mean, you okay. two more feet, you're going to be in uh, Malibu. So it's right up there and that's my heart. I mean, I'm there all the time. We're cranking busy. It's a beautiful restaurant. And, um, and it's been voted like the most romantic restaurant in LA, correct? Yeah, it's been it's voted every year. Most romantic restaurant. Yelp just did um, the most romantic restaurants in the country, the hundred list that just came out like I think three days ago, and we are number seven in the country for the most romantic. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, so great. yeah, it's great. It's great. Just the food, sexy. You know the ambiances. It's just a great place to come to come. So, what kind of food day. do you cook there? <laughs> so I always call it the the ubiquitous term of contemporary American. Because that's what it is. It's it's everything. It's it's fine dining, but it's not extreme fine dining. It's still very approachable. Because you're on a date, you don't want to be intimidated. So, but yeah, but it is. It's it's fine. You know, we we have every luxurious ingredient you can want: truffles, foie gras, or no, not foie gras anymore. But the cav, you know, caviar, and we, you know, John Dory's on the menu. I mean, we have we have you know the best of the best ingredients, and everything's organic and everything's local, and everything's from the best farms. I mean, that's so. We start with that, which, as you know, makes the best food. And you lo- you're working with, um, you know, farms and suppliers, providers, like from what, like the surrounding area, like California or? Oh, yeah, everything. Everything is, um, the great thing about California, if people don't live here, is that we're extremely spoiled. <laughs> David Chang had a quote a long time ago where he said, California chefs don't cook. They just put something, they just put a piece of fruit on a plate, <laughs> which is funny. I, I find it funny. I mean, it's kind of, I know what he was doing there, but uh, I, I don't agree with that, but it's kind of true. It's like we have so much amazing food and so much amazing produce that the apple that you taste, you don't have to do much to it. You're like, man, that apple's delicious. <laughs> you know, like that's the best lady apple I've ever had. So, but yeah, I mean, technique has come back a little bit, but they were doing that for a while. But yeah, we just, I just, I mean, we have the most amazing farms out here. There's some like, we, you know, just peas and barnets heritage pigs and uh, the, the farmer's market we have here. I mean, that's why you see a lot of these chefs from New York and Chicago moving here and opening restaurants is because they're, they're going to our farmer's market. And they're like, you can you imagine, you know, they're like, if I can do this back in New York and Chicago and all these other great uh, states, can you imagine what I could do here, given like these awesome tools? So it's great to have that out here. So how do you start when you are creating something new on the menu? What's your first step? So is it, is it the produce that you are just, you know, talking about? What's your creative process? I, w- I would say whenever I answer that question, so I always feel like every chef has the same answer for that. And it, because it's so true, I think it's the, the process is the same with every chef. When I see an ingredient and I taste it and I'm like, oh my, in the mic, it just literally bombs are going off in my head of like what I could do, what it could go with, what I could pair it with. That's mainly what it is, is, you know, I, cause I've already kind of went through all the food memories. I've already cooked from all the food memories. And I think that's the evolution of a chef. You start with what your grandmother made up, may have made and you kind of evolve from there. But now it's basically I'm at the market and I bite into something or I see something and I'm like, I taste it. I'm like, oh my God, can you imagine if I did this with this, with this? 
or if I pickled it and did it next year, you know, I just really start that process from taste and sight. I mean, obviously you're talking about pickling and, but I, I'm, I'm not sure that even you need that over there because you have all the best product <laughs> like all year long. <laughs> so yeah. It's not that you have to preserve the product for like, <laughs> you know, like the winter or the fall. <laughs> the fall we're, winter, we're almost but. pickling for novelty more than uh, for than we actually need it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I know we are going to talk about your, you know, the food truck nation later, but in, 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 you know, in the, in the show, but I'm, I'm just curious that as a source of inspiration, have you ever seen anything during two seasons that you have done and the tasting that you have done, you know, on those, uh, with those food trucks and say, Hey, I would really love to bring that back to the restaurant. It's amazing to me that these food trucks, since the, since the advent of these food trucks, uh, several years ago, it, the level of cooking that's on these trucks is is actually shocking. And I think there's still a stigma behind food trucks that they're not going to put out this amazing food. <laughs> and just like anything else in the world, some restaurants don't, some restaurants do. But the re- you know the food trucks I was going to are the best of the best. We're, we pick them because they are the best of the best. I definitely have seen some techniques. I've seen, I've just seen some amazing food come out. And I've also seen just, I mean, honestly, it's kind of going to different states. I go to a different state and I see like a butter. Um, I learned in St. Louis the butter cake. <laughs> They're like, oh, we're, I think it's called butter cake. Yeah. Like and the I'm gooey like, oh, butter cake. Yes. Yeah. The gooey butter cake. And I'm like, I've never seen that before. I'm uh-huh. like, this is so cool. And the ingredients are sugar, 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 sugar. <laughs> and then, like, you know what I mean? And then you add a drop of something. But it was delicious. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then I started thinking, okay, maybe I wouldn't make it like that, but maybe I would take that same concept. You know what I mean? And I'm, my mind starts going of how I would do it. And I definitely learned, I've, I've definitely learned from, um, I mean, I, I'm, we're, we're all just cooks. The chef word has been blown up, but we're all cooks, man. We're all just very interested in each other. And I, I think by nature, cooks and chefs, we're just curious. I, I'm just, I'm just really curious what other people are doing and why they're doing it and what their, what their purpose is for doing it. If it's to make something sugary for dessert, if it's to make something because it reminds them of whatever, or if it's to go with their brand, I'm just really curious to like all the subtle idiosyncrasies that go on behind the process of why they why they put it on there so yeah i've learned i've, I've learned a lot I've, I've seen a lot of great dishes do you have another example and uh maybe on the culinary more on the culinary side i wouldn't say i would do this at my restaurant but i was definitely intrigued uh when i was on bread and circuses he did like this nacho cheeseburger where he like deep fried the patty and he put all like basically all the nacho cheese accoutrements onto the burger and when I took a bite of it, I mean, it was just amazing. And when I took a bite of it, it literally tasted like I bit down in and into, into like a big loaded nacho. It really did. And I did, and I did not think it was going to do that. I like, I really thought it was going to taste like a burger with a bunch of stuff on it. But it really, truly, he, the way he put everything together and the meat of the, you know, the coating on the outside of the burger was nacho uh, crumbs and the, the fried flavor and then the olives and the sour cream and the guac. And even with the bun, he like made it so it tasted. Like it was not like it was a big nacho. And I was like, wow, that's I'm shocked by that. You know what I mean? Like I, I was like really actually shocked. So may, maybe, uh, yeah, difficult for you to uh, elevate this in uh, in your uh, seventh ray <laughs> location. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's difficult. So what I would think is I here's how I usually have things happen for me is I'm not going to use that bread and circuses recipe for that burger. But somehow along the along my lifeline, maybe in a month, maybe in a year, maybe in two years, it's going to come into play somehow. I'll be doing something and I'll be like, oh, I remember when he coated this in the Doritos and it fried and it made it taste like this. You know what I mean? Like the process, the technique of it might come back to me. You know what I mean? That's how a lot of my life is. A lot of things come back. 
I might not use that exact method or that flavor profile, but I'll definitely be somewhere down the line like, oh, I remember this happened and this one with this and it tasted just like this. We could do that with this. You know what I mean? It might not be Dorito or burger. It could be lamb with a personal, you know what I mean? Like it's weird. It will come back to that. It, like it all, it all stores in the brain and I pull out the Rolodex sometimes and I'll figure out what I'm going to do. And I think, I think it'll come back sometime. A lot of things do. Okay. And do you have uh, inspiration that comes outside of food? I, I, you know what? I, I get inspired by culture a lot. Like I said, I, I think these are all uh, chef terms that people, <laughs> all chefs do, but I watch a lot of documentaries. I try to read a lot and I'm just inspired by culture and why they eat that food. You know, it's not like, oh, they just wanted to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, oh, they had to do X, Y, and Z because they had another, a, a different, like almost because they had to, or this is the thing around them. It's the terroir of where they're at. And the techniques they used well, were out of necessity. So I, I'll kind of like, I read a lot and I watch a lot of documentaries. And sometimes I'll, I'll like be like, hey, what's the terror? What's, what's, what do I want to do like that? Even though I have all, I have a, a blessings of riches around us with, with fruit, with produce, with techniques, with sous vide machines and everything Breville, you know what I mean? Just everything you possibly sure. want. I have all the toys. <laughs> but what if I, what if I didn't? What could I use? You know what I mean? I, I really try to use the terroir of life in California to kind of push me into something new, into something else I wouldn't think of because I see a lot of, and I try to stay away from this. I see a lot of, you know, all of us, when, when the new trend hits, that's what we all do. Everyone's putting whatever on the plate. Everyone's doing popcorn at the time. Everyone, you know what I mean? And I really, I want to, you know, I kind of want to stay away from that. And we get into that a little bit with like in California. When you see peaches in the menu, you're going to see peaches with burrata. We have, an, we have a joke out here in California. When you walk by and you see the sandwich boards on Abakini in Venice, uh, every special is peaches <laughs> with burrata, except different styles. You know what I mean? And I know it's because it's good, but like I said, I want to, I want to be different. I want to do things that, you know, evoke positive memories and also evoke like, Hey, this, you know, these people are trying to do something a little bit different. And that's why I, I really am into uh, reading a lot, watching a lot of documentaries, reading a lot about cultures and just figuring out different techniques and methods that we can apply and use to just kind of keep, keep it different keep, and keep it, uh, keep it fun. So you're talking about sous vide and you're talking about all the the, you know, the toys and so on. Yeah, the, how does science play a role in your approach to food? I, I think science plays a huge role because, I mean, I mean I, I'm a big advocate for Harold McGee, the science and lore of the kitchen, uh, you know, on, on, on food. That's my Bible. I, it's funny because <laughs> when you talk to me, everybody always asks me, like, you do the food truck show, but you're so like into science and you're into, you know, culture and you're re you know, always reading and doing this stuff. And I said, that's why I did the show, honestly, is because I wanted to break that mold that you have to be like a, a personality on TV who does cartwheels and backflips and like, you know, and where, you know, and wears like flashy shirts to be like, Hey, look at me. You know, I think it's, I, I kind of wanted to break the mold of like, you can be an amazing chef or, you know, a, a great cook like we all are and still be able to transform somebody's opinion on certain things, especially food trucks. And I think that's, that's how science plays to me. It's like, I, I want to be able to know so much about a subject that, it, it plays into my cooking and it plays into my personality when I'm with, with, with somebody filming. So it's double duty. So science plays a huge part. I, I feel especially with, uh, you know, the sous vide with meat and, and, and fish, there's sometimes restaurants that abused it and they, they don't know maybe sometimes how to finish it. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of things don't need to be sous vide. I, for some reason, I don't know why, lamb saddle, every time we sous vide it, it doesn't taste as good as if we sear it, put it in the oven, take in a cast iron, take it out, a rosé it butter, rosemary, a little, you know what I mean? Brown butter and just, and finish it that way, let it rest and then cut it. It comes off the better texture than if we sous vide it. I, and that's just my opinion. 
And so we don't sous vide our lamb set. You know, like there's little things we don't do. I don't sous vide much fish because I just can't get, I, for some, I mean, I, when I poach my fish, I do poached, I do sous vide, but that's about it. I don't like anybody who sous vide scallops. <laughs> you know, like that to me, that's insane. So, so what is your latest uh, ingredient obsession in uh, the great state of California? It's, fu it's funny you said that because I, I just shaved a bunch of truffles on my eggs this morning. But oh, it's yeah. not from California, but no, truffles are abundant not, but right now. So I was just yeah. using truffles. Actually, I've seen that on your Instagram. I think you said, like, who loves truffle? Is it like still in or out? I'm like, definitely in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah. I, on my Instagram, I said, is it overrated? Yeah, yeah. Said, yeah overrated. Because, yeah, but. I mean, I, I go back and forth. I think sometimes it's overrated and then sometimes I don't. You know, I just, that's where we're humans. We kind of go, you know, we, we are allowed to change our opinions, but I, I'm like, right now, it's not overrated to me, <laughs> but it might be. And as soon as I'm done with all these truffles, I'm like, oh. It's overrated. But um, I would say my obsession, and my obsession right now is persimmons. Persimmons are amazing right now. They're tasting amazing. I was speaking about lady apples earlier. And as you know, citrus is winter, you know, out here. Citrus, the best is, you know, in the wintertime, not summer. And the lady apples, I took a bite of a lady apple the other day. And I was just like, oh my God. And I was just like, I don't want to bake these. I don't want to put them into, I don't want to make a tart out of them. I don't want tartine or I want to, you know what I want to do with these? I want, I want the customer to eat these, but how do I do that? So I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to try and do something fancy. I'm just going to go old school and I'm going to shave them fresh over my salad. Well, you know, for when I serve it and people are like, oh my God, these are the best lady apples. No, I don't think I would have got that reaction if I would have uh, messed with it and forced it into something. And you know what I mean? I think that's when you, when you have restraint is when you become uh, a master of your craft, at least. They're not a master, but you're at least starting to get there <laughs> is restraint. Persimmon. What, what do you make with persimmon? Because it's becoming like, you know, kind of a trendy ingredients that we see now a little bit more around the country. But I'm just curious, how do you? Yeah. So what we do on our menu is I do. Um, so I take the persimmons and I quarter them, <laughs> and I take the take the middle out, and then I put them in a sous vide bag with really good olive oil and salt, and a little bit of salt, not too much. And then I I kind of compress them and I let them sit overnight, and then I put them. They go on a plate with uh, whipped ricotta, so it's. Um, is it whipped ricotta cheese. So it's a little bit of whipped ricotta, the persimmons, more really nice olive oil. We have a pomegranate, like a pomegranate gel. I hate saying that, but that's what it is. <laughs> it's, it's worded nicely in the menu, but a pomegranate gel, fresh pomegranate seeds, because those are in season right now. And then a little bit of uh, shiso. So we put a little shiso all over it. Toasted Marcano almonds. What else do we put on there? I think I got something else. And, oh, and then a little drop, a couple drops of uh, lemon oil and then Malden salt. And it's one of those, it's one of those things when you serve it, it almost comes like people think it's going to be a dessert. It's a, you know, it's like a, it's a starter and it's just so tasty and you bite into those persimmons and they melt in your mouth and you got that pomegranate gel with them. And I mean, it just, it really is an amazing dish. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like one. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm going to fly to California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go taste it. Yes, absolutely. Let's go back in time. I, I'm curious. I mean, I was fascinating. I think I read uh, there was an article uh, published at, um, one time online where you're talking about, you know, the butcher shop of, of your father in, in Illinois. And uh, is it uh, there's the direct uh, connect, connection, correlation between, you know, the time when you were doing things with your father and then you wanted to become a chef? I think subconsciously. <laughs> yeah, I think subconsciously because. When you're a kid and you're working in a butcher shop, that's not what you want to do. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's you want to be annoyed. out with your friends. You don't want to tell your girlfriend, like, I got to go to the butcher shop and 
cuts the meat up. It's not, it's not sexy. No? It's not fun. It's not I mean, a, a pickup line? Oh, come yeah, on. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's funny because it's not most of the time coming into these things, uh, which is funny because I go off subject, sorry, but it's funny because my father, the butcher, I told him how cool it is to be a butcher now. It's like the new hip, yeah. cool thing that Absolutely. you're a butcher. Yeah. And, he, and he laughed. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he, he laughed. He's like, I can't imagine this being cool because I don't think he wanted to be a butcher. You know what I mean? He didn't want to be a butcher. <laughs> he, he was, you know, because it was passed down or, you know, all those things. And he got into it and that's what he does now. But I don't think he wanted to be a butcher. It's just something he had to do. I saw it that way too. It's like, I don't want to be a butcher, you know, <laughs> but it's like the cool trendy thing. But I mean, he didn't want to do that. He was forced, you know, not forced into it, but that's kind of what he did. And he just, he fell into it and just kept doing it. He's still at the shop now. The shop is still. He's there still, right uh, now. Yeah, at yeah. this very yeah, yeah. second. Yeah. He's there from, yeah, it's 6 a.m. till about 7 p.m. So he's there right now. Yeah. So he's, uh, that's what I mean. It's like, I just, cause I didn't want to do it, but I worked there anyways. Cause you have to, you know, help out and everything else. And, but I still had fun. I still like all the scrap meat. He's like, yeah, go grind this up, which is funny. Cause we were kids. We were grinding like major, huge grinders. <laughs> like, you know, you nowadays you'd probably DCFS would be called, but yeah, we were like, you know, back in the day we could do whatever we want, you know, use grinders and we could make spice mixtures and mix it in with the meat and, and then bake it in the oven and make meatballs. Like we're in unsupervised. Like this is what, you know, you know, back in the day. So yeah, I kind of got an inspiration from that, but I know I didn't want to be a butcher, but I just actually wanted to go into something creative. I was going to go, I wanted to go into, um, film school or, uh, it's weird to say film score or interior design. So I always want to do something creative and, and like capture things and, and design a little bit. And, uh, the reason I chose cooking is because I took a foods class in high school <laughs> and I was kind of like, oh man, I like working with food. And my dad always cooked at home and I was always like, Hey, how do you cook this? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just really kind of got into it. What did he say when, uh, when you told him that you wanted to go to culinary school? He wasn't very happy. Because <laughs> you got to understand, this is back when it wasn't cool. You know what I mean? Uh, this was 2000. 2000, there, it, wasn't, it was still, no, nobody was becoming a chef. It wasn't a thing. To, it was not a thing to do. So he was like, no, you're, you know, you're, <laughs> he, he actually said, you're, crazy. you're, you're a smart yeah. guy. You know, you're, you're, a, you're a good, smart guy. You have, you have capable. You shouldn't do that. You, you know what I mean? Like almost like he didn't want me to follow in his footsteps of doing a, oh, almost like a blue collar job, which it is. I, I always tell people chef is a blue collar job. It absolutely is. Even though we'd like to make more of it. <laughs> what did you learn when uh, you were at the butcher shop with your dad? Yeah. I mean, besides, besides the obvious of like learning how to butcher, I think I, I learned, I mean, I learned how to butcher everything. That's, that's something you don't realize you're going to use that until you become a chef or, you know, I didn't think I was ever going to use that in my life, but I learned that, but it's really weird to say this. I don't think it's weird, actually. It's really, nobody would think this. The way my dad spoke with customers, when people would come in and the interactions with customers to the butcher shop, everybody was like family. Everybody was, the you know, not just the customers always right. It was literally everybody who came into my dad's butcher shop was a family, like a, almost like a family member, even though they weren't. It was like, hey, Chuck, how you doing? Hey, Mary. Oh, yeah, I got your, it was very, very like a loving, caring, uh, taking care of people kind of thing that really translates into being a chef is like the guest first and really doing something you love and like putting something out there that you're really proud of. And it's going to go and nurture people's children and not to get too deep on you. But I mean, that's really what I learned is the way he talked to people, the way, you know how it is. Some people that don't know him or didn't know the butcher shop would come by and complain. They're like, this steak was the worst steak I've ever had in my life. I put it in the microwave and it was chewy. Oh, I know my, and, you know, my dad said, Oh, okay, well, all right, well, let's get you another one. This, you know, it's the, when you microwave it, you know, it gets a little tough. You know, people are microwaving steaks and they were complaining they were, t I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. but, but the way my dad handled it was amazing. 
He never chastised anybody. He never, he, I mean, he just really was great. He still is great. He didn't run after them with a knife, no? <laughs> yeah, he didn't come after them with a cleaver like in the movies. <laughs> but, you know, the funny thing is he was just, he's, a, he's, they're the customer. They're the ones keeping the business together. So it was not just a business model. He truly felt like, hey, these are just people, you know, maybe they need to know that you can't microwave it. And, and, if, and I'm still going to give him another steak, another ribeye, <laughs> like beautiful ribeye. Yeah, it was kind of just, I, I basically learned how, like, just how you should deal with people and how you should be you know, courteous and genuine and really don't fake it. You know what I mean? Really, really drink the Kool-Aid and get into what you're doing and, and, and enjoy the customer. Let's talk a little bit about this because I feel that especially today with technology, everyone is a food critic. So everyone, you know, with under Yelp and all the others, you know, are, it's easy for everyone to, <laughs> you know, to post an opinion. What, what do you think about this and how do you handle it when you have, you know, unfortunately, sometimes some people putting something negative and with no reason? We're in, I'm going to state this again. We're in California. Everybody has an opinion and everybody's opinion is the, the number one thing you should be listening to. I think Yelp is, <laughs> with opinions are, everybody has them and usually they're all either, there's some truth to them, but maybe there's not. It's just, you get, there's a lot of people out there in the world that just really want to be heard and they don't have a platform to, be, they don't have any sort of platform to be heard on. When you can scream from a computer, it's easy. It's easier than confronting someone and, and saying it to, you know, and saying, I don't agree with this. I don't like this. I, I'm a chef, man. I, I'm a true chef. I don't like Yelp. I don't like any, <laughs> you know, I don't like any of that stuff. I just don't believe that people, you, I, I don't believe you should be able to say something without, and then it goes out to the public without, without a conversation first. I mean, we'll have people saying, we didn't have reservations on a Saturday night. We couldn't get a table one star. I'm like, what? <laughs> you're, you're mad at me? Cause you know, but, but honestly, complaining about it doesn't do anything. And I don't, I don't believe in that. I believe in only, not just being positive. If, it, if I can't fix it, then I should figure out a way to be positive about it. We get a lot of great reviews too. So, I mean, I mean, a lot of great reviews. We have, I mean, we have almost four and a half stars on Yelp. So <laughs> that's hard to get. So, I mean, but I still just don't, I, I'm not a fan of it. I don't think that people should have a platform to, to say things without a conversation first. And then if you want to go and do whatever, go ahead. But I, I don't like how you can just say something and then we have to find it later. And then we have to try to talk to you and then you don't answer us. You know what I mean? When you go to the message board and you try to speak to the person about their experience and like, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't know you didn't have a reservation. And about, you know, you try to talk and they won't talk to you. It's not great. And I just, I'm not a fan of, I'm just not a fan of anybody who wants to write a review of anything, whether it's positive or negative. <laughs> I, I, seriously, it's like, if you want to write a review, you already have, something's already going on. <laughs> and, and you're in the tent that happens somewhere that you, that you really want to review something. So I'm not a fan. <laughs> okay. Let's uh, go back again, still in, in the past, but obviously you were, and I, I was like, oh, man, I saw you. Um, you know, at the season three of The Hell's Kitchen. And <laughs> <laughs> so so how, how was that experience? Uh, and how did you mentally prepare yourself for the stress of being under Gordon Ramsay instruction, you know, instruction there? I, I think to answer your question, that, that I was already working in the level of restaurants that were like that. So I was already used to it. Anybody who's listening, I, by the way, on Hell's Kitchen, I'm Brad, not Josh. <laughs> Everybody confused me. With, I was like, oh, man, when that, when that Gordon Ramsay yelled at you, I'm like, what are you talking about? He never yelled at me. And they're, they're like, no, when he kicked you out of the kitchen, I'm like, once again, that was Josh. Yes. <laughs> like, I get, when I found out how fake that show was, 
when I was on the show and I found out how just deri- how fake and derived, and, and I, okay, I'm, I'm a positive guy. I don't want to be negative, but the, I'm okay, just giving so, facts. It's a so very, everyone you know, who is listening, you got the point. <laughs> it's a produced <laughs> show, you know. And hey, I get it, man. I get I get what Gordon Ramsay is doing. You know, you, everybody has a hustle, and I respect him for doing that. I respect anybody's hustle. I respect the producers for making the show entertaining. But it's a produced show. Any produced show is is not quite on TV. Uh, a food show is not quite what you think it is. So it's kind of, as soon as I kind of found that out. Within the first couple of days of being there, I just put my head down and worked like I was in a Michelin star kitchen. That's what I did. I just put my head down. I didn't try to do anything. I didn't try. You know what I mean? I just kind of faded away in the background. And I never really got yelled at. Nothing really ever happened to me. And I eventually just got taken out. I, I was disappointed when I was on the show, realizing that it was that produced. That, that whole thing is, is like I said, this, that's not even a negative thing. If I had a show, I would do it the exact same way they did it. I mean, like if I was producing this show, Oh, because it's pure entertainment. It is pure yeah, yeah, entertainment. It is. It is. I mean, I'm looking back on it and I'm seeing things and I'm like, I don't remember that, but man, that's good entertainment. Or like, <laughs> that's not really the way it happened, but I don't really care. It's still funny. You know what I mean? If it's funny, you got to do it. That's, and that's what I kind of think about. Did Food you TV learn anything, so uh, anything valuable from, from that time? Um, you know, yes, that, don't show? do reality food television. <laughs> uh, you know, that's what I learned from it. <laughs> you know what? I honestly, it's, it was a way for me to be to kind of get an experience that nobody else usually will ever have their whole life is to be on a major TV show like that, you know, to, to be a part of something like that. That's a pretty big thing. Nobody had any idea that show would go to as many seasons as it oh, went yeah. to. Cause I didn't even know, Absolutely. I didn't know what the show was because back when I was on it, they just finished season two and they went right into season three. And this was so long ago. This is, it might've aired in 2006, but I think we filmed beginning of 2005. There was no YouTube like clips of it. There was no way to look it up. This is how long ago that was, where you could not look up clips of Hell's Kitchen. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't popular. Literally, I did not know what I was walking into. All they told me was, if you can survive all these other cooks, you can win this money and win this thing. And I'm like, that's me. <laughs> you know, I should go where I, I'm a, I, I think I'm a, you know, back then I'm like, oh, I'm so good. I'm good. I'm great. You know, when you're a young cook, you know, I was working on these amazing chefs, putting out amazing food. So I'm like, I'm going to go win that. I'll just go, you know, a little cocky chef. I'll just go win that. So now, talking about TV, you are the host and the producer of the, uh, on the cooking channel of Food Truck Nation. So wh- what makes you decide to focus on food trucks and, and made a TV show about it? Well, I think the first thing is, is when you have a, everybody has an idea for a TV show, <laughs> and usually they're all great ideas. It's just a matter of what the network is going to look at first, what they're going to see. Every, being in TV, I've learned one thing. And uh, being, you know, trying to produce TV and doing things is every idea has already been thought of and there is no original ideas. <laughs> like, I, I mean, everybody, they've heard everything. I think it's a good point. Yeah. 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 Cooking Channel, Food Network, everyone, everyone's heard everything. The, the one original pitch that someone thinks they have, I promise you, I, I promise you so much they've already heard it. But what you got to do is I think you got to find it's, it's a great mix and a great balance of finding what's kind of trendy or what's kind of on the up, uprise, what people want to see what time of year it's going to be aired, the right talent for it. And I think for food trucks, for me, it's like food trucks in LA have been here for so long that I kind of thought it was going on the downtick. But in other um, other states, it's actually a very big thing still. It's actually becoming a very big thing. They're just hearing about it. In LA, it's been, what, 10 years now or 12. And, and the food trucks here are kind of going away. Not going away, but every food truck, if you make it, you want to have your own brick and mortar. So it's, you know, So all the great food trucks are going away because they're becoming restaurants. So that's kind of what I meant by that. And the great thing about food trucks is it's a great soundboard to try out your food before you open a brick and mortar. So I thought that was a great way. It's a great way to start a show. It's being like, 
hey, how can like, how can we, you know, what if we did a show about all these food trucks that are coming up, all this scene, and how people think that food trucks is like, you know, down and dirty food, and it's always like super fattening and burnt, you know, like everything fried. And how can we show that people are really good cooks and, and they're they're doing it off a of food truck? And I think the right personality for was for that uh, kind of atmosphere is a chef who really knows what he's talking about, but also has personality. Because you can't just be a chef and really know what you're talking about because that doesn't make good TV. And you do have a lot of energy. I, have to yeah, I, I do. That's what everybody <laughs> says. I have a yeah, lot of absolutely. energy. Yeah. I, I, you know, I got a lot going on and uh, I've always been like that. But I think that's what I, and I, I have this, this blessing of that. I haven't let the industry beat my personality out of me yet. <laughs> like, and I, you know, we've all been there. I think chef who's listening. We've all been there. We're like, you kind of get beaten down so hard that you're like, you lose a little who you are. Yeah. I was probably more energetic than this before when I was working at these Michelin restaurants, but yeah. I, and I think it's very rare to find a chef who's worked in a lot of great restaurants and I'm not, I'm not tickling my own ivories over here. I, I you know, I'm like, I, I think it's very rare that to have such a resume and then be able to go on camera and talk to people and not be snooty and really be an interested person. Of course, we know, you know, places around the country that had the great food trucks, like you're talking about LA, but there's Portland, there's Austin, you know, there's a lot of, and you are going everywhere. So how do you select? I'm sure, you know, that question I've been asked, you know, to you like many times, but curious, how do you select the cities where you go, you know, on the Food Truck Nation show? Honestly, what we did, we needed to pick different states because you want to travel everywhere and you want to experience everything. <laughs> so what we do is we just, honestly, we let the food truck speak to us. We'll kind of just be like, all right, let's, uh, let's pick some major states that we know have great food trucks. We just, you just know that from word of mouth. Uh, Portland, Austin. Okay, so let's do a Google search. Best food trucks in Portland. And obviously, the, the main ones start coming up all the time. You know what I mean? Like, you just can't deny that, you know, when the, the, when the internet's screaming at you that this truck is the best. And then you call someone you know from Portland and you say, hey, I'm about to do a food truck. What do you think? What do you think about Portland food trucks? And they'll be like, oh my God, everyone in Portland loves blank, blank, and blank. You know what I mean? And then you match that to your results. And then you're like, all right, we're going to go see this guy or this girl. <laughs> so, you know, we mentioned three cities like Portland, Austin, and LA. So what are the two other ones you will add to that top list of maybe five cities for food truck in, in the US? You know what? North Carolina has a lot of great food trucks. Okay. So around which area? Trucks. Like uh, Charlotte. Um, Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, around that area, Charlotte, there's a lot. Yeah, I mean, uh, Colorado, there's a bunch of really good food trucks around Denver area. Denver. Almost every major city has a good food truck scene. I was really uh, surprised. And I'm from outside of Chicago. I was really surprised that Minnesota had such a food truck scene. <laughs> Minnesota had some really good food trucks. And I was always wanting to go to Chicago and, and, and do some food trucks. But they've, uh, they've done some rule where like food trucks can't be within this or that and the other. So the food no. truck scene in Chicago okay. is not that. Is, there's still some great trucks there but it's not as huge as other places that are allowing it and not really um, stopping them. So, so what's the, the top three elements, would you say, that you know, after doing those two seasons that's make a food truck successful? First of all, I would say this, and this sounds weird to say this, but it's very true, and this is only true for food trucks. This isn't true for anything else in life. Having like a, fa like a, a food truck that's wrapped in a fancy color and you have something like that really catches people's eye, that's what get, will get people to walk up to your food truck is having something like a, a cool truck or like a kind of a gimmick almost that and like i said that only works for food trucks it does not work for restaurants it doesn't work for anything else in life but for food trucks when you're walking down a row of 25 food trucks and you just see this big weird one you walk up to the weird one and once you get them there you have to have the best food 
So um, the second is going to be, obviously, you have to have amazing, amazing food. And thirdly, you have to have food that people can walk around with, with one hand, you know, because almost everybody at a food truck event or show has a beer in one hand and they want their food in the other. So I think the ones I found that were the best were the ones who took their food and made it into something people can walk around and carry. There's a place in Austin called Baton Creole, and she has jambalaya on a stick. <laughs> and to me, it was genius because she, she makes great jambalaya. And then she's like, I want to make it so they can walk around and have their beer and walk, you know, and, and not only that, people see it. It's because it's, it's in, it's on a stick and ball. So she was like a genius and she did this. And it was also, it tasted amazing. So like, I was really impressed with her. I was like, wow, that's a great idea. And do you think that uh, the one that are the most successful are the one that are really becoming experts into like one or two specific type of food? And they have, they're focusing, you know, this is the food truck for, you know, I don't know, mac and cheese, or this is the food trucks for a burger or something else, but that, that, that the menu is not too wide. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think when you focus to like one or two things, that's when you're going to be, I mean, that's just, that goes for anything in the world. If you hyper-focus on anything, you're going to become great at it. And I think the people that have the mac and cheese trucks, when they just focus on mac and cheese, it's some really good mac and cheese. The bar, you know, obviously the barbecue joints, if you focus not just on barbecue trucks, if you focus on a certain type of barbecue and you only do pork or you only do beef, even then, then you have the best. I mean, when they, when you really hyper-focus, just like anything, you really do make a great, great product. Any food truck that you have discovered that really you still have in memories that you, you could share with us, that's something that say, wow, I, I wasn't expecting that. That's great food and great concept. I, I got to go with Baton Creole. I, she really shocked me. I mean, I've never been, I don't get shocked very often. I've done a lot of TV. I've worked at a lot of restaurants and I was just shocked of how good it was how tasty it was and how just clever it was. I have, to this day, I have no idea how she got that jambalaya on the stick and she made the whole crew, she made the whole crew leave her truck. We couldn't film it because she said it's proprietary. And I'm like, oh, wow. I, I'm like, I'm, and I'm pretty, I'm a guy who's like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure <laughs> out what she did. And I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, no, because if she did this and this would happen, but if she froze it, then it would do this. And what I think, and the only thing she gave me, she said that she had to have it made. That's all she said. I'm like, oh, she's like, no, I had it made. She's like, let me guess. You thought of Frozen. You thought of this. You thought, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, nope. And I'm like, ooh, if I had more time, I'd figure it out. But I mean, she did such a great job. She's, oh, and speaking of personality, she is a great personality. And she's just, she's just a fun girl, but she's, it's an amazing thing. Her food is amazing. Okay. I, I'm going to be at, uh, at, in Austin for South by Southwest. So I, I'm, I'm going to uh, go and visit uh, this one. <laughs> but not real. I think she, I yeah, mean, I'll just make sure she still owns it. But uh, okay. that happens a lot. When I send people to go to their favorite food truck, they're like, I, it wasn't that great. I'm like, oh, did you make sure it was this girl? They're like, oh, no, they bought, because oh, this is different from restaurants. A lot of people sell their trucks. A lot of people sell their trucks with the food, with everything, with the menu, with the recipes to other people, which you don't see that in uh, kitchens ever, unless you're like a, a chain. But like, so like you'll, they'll sell their whole everything and then somebody else will own it and they'll just run it. But it won't be the original person who did it. So that's just, you got to make sure it's her. And you know what? When we get off the phone, you, I'll give you, um, I'll, I'll email you her number so you can call her when you're down there. Okay, sure. <laughs> no, don't worry. Even if he's not there, I'm not going to post anything negative on Yelp about you. So don't. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> hey, everybody. Don't worry. Yeah, you can, man. They do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. So do you think that you need to be a, a trained chef to be successful at having a food truck? Absolutely not. Absolutely positively not. I think since the advent of the internet, I don't think that anybody has to be a trained in anything classically. 
to do anything anymore. I don't know how to rebuild a carburetor, but I, if you give me a computer and the tools, I'll just Google it and I'll figure it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, and I think that's a lot. And you're seeing, I mean, I, I think you're seeing this a lot with uh, YouTube chefs and home cooks that are, I mean, the Food Network and Cooking Channel, I mean, we're, it's filled with people that were home cooks that got a lot of followers and now they're cooking on um, major networks. And I'm not, I'm not actually, I think it's actually great. That's a great hustle. That's a great way to like, they figure out, they figure out a way to do something and they educated themselves just enough to become somebody who can speak on that, who can be an authority on uh, that type of food, that type of cuisine. I think the classic training of it all of us, we going through the the ranks we went through, I worked on all these French chefs and I think that's gone. And I, I hate to say that because I want to, I want to live in the memories of that, you know, you're going to pay your dues and you're going to do this. But I just think the way the world is shifting, that you don't have to do that anymore. I mean, we went through that. We did that. But it's not what you have to do anymore. And there's a lot of internet chefs out there that Google the recipes. But And that's, you know what? I don't see anything wrong with that. Is If they're making a product that's delicious and if it's, you know, and it's, it's, it's presented properly and they have a crew and, you know, it's and they're doing it right, then I don't care how it, I don't care how the flavor gets to my mouth as long as it gets there. You know what I mean? And a lot of chefs don't agree with that, but I like to think, I like to think it's progressive. I like to think we're moving with the times. So I definitely don't think you need to have a food truck. You don't have to be a classically trained chef to have a food truck. And you said something interesting about the world changing. And I'm, I'm sure that what you were having in mind, it's uh, like beyond food trucks. It applies to restaurants as well. So would you say that doing, uh, let's say, research and learning through the internet could even replace uh, all the series of the series of staging that um, you know, like uh, young chef will have done in the past. You know, they will go and stage for like a week or two, and then they will learn how to make a specific dish or a specific technique. But now, with the internet and technology, that you you can do that online. Kind of like I was saying before, I definitely think that's the way the world is heading. I don't even have guys stage at my restaurant because um, it's illegal, and I used to do it all the time, even though it's because they have to have insurance. They have to be involved, you know, all the things that go through why you have to have someone they can't work for free in a kitchen. We, but we, you know, we all used to do that, but now it's like, you have to, you have to actually hire them as a consultant or as an independent contractor. There's a whole thing that goes behind. So now I just, we just have to hire people and hopefully they work out and hopefully they have a good enough resume. But I really, I truly, if you really want to go 25 years, 30 years from now, (laughs) I could rant all day about this. I have a whole, I have a whole spiel about how, you know, I think honestly in 50 years from now, it's not even about the uh, cooking. Cooking is going to be so different because of all the health laws, you know, all that. Cause uh, you know, every year the health inspector tells you something new that they say you can't do gloves, this, that no more latex, no more this. You can't use this product. So I think in 50 years, we're going to see a whole new realm of cooking and we're going to have to adapt to that. Cause there's going to be so many laws against what we can do, what we can't do that. We're going to start cooking that way. We're going to start saying, you know what? I can't do this. I can't do this. So instead of just doing it and hiding it, I'm just not going to do it anymore. You know what I mean? So we're going to start losing a lot of um, techniques, I think. That are going to, you know, because of the hell. I mean, this is, I'm also going to a dystopian future of, <laughs> you know, I'm going, I'm going that far when it's, you know, kind of like Demolition Man, we're all going to be eating uh, Taco Bell. Kind of like the, they're the ones who survived the wars. I think that's like something that's actually really going to happen in the next like 50 to 60 years. And also, the, you know, the kids staging and all these young chefs coming up. I, I hate to see it, but I, I mean, I'm there every day in the kitchen and I'm, I'm with other, my other chef friends who are running their very successful restaurants. And we talk about it all the time about how, Nobody wants to be a chef anymore. And a lot of people don't want to, uh, cooks don't want to be chefs and kids don't want to be cooks. You know what I mean? Um, nobody wants it anymore. Everybody kind of just wants to either have the fame of it. And the whole thing is they can do that. The funny thing is you absolutely can do that. Back in the day, you could not become a great chef just by saying you want to become a great chef. Now you can become 
I wouldn't say you're going to become a great chef, but you can actually get that notoriety and that feeling and that fame from it just by honestly looking stuff up and starting your YouTube channel. And, and I'm saying there's nothing wrong with that. I'm one of the many, I'm one of the probably 1% of chefs who say, you know what? There's nothing wrong with that because I don't knock anybody's hustle. I believe everybody um, has a fair chance at life. And if they want to do that, I'm not a dreamer. I don't look back on the old days and say, this is the way it should be. I think I'm always looking towards the future. And I think that's why I've gotten where I've gotten in my life is because I'm always progressing and I want to be like, you know what? I don't agree with it. That's because, you know, I did it the other way. I wish I could have just looked stuff up on the internet, but I, I didn't. So I think that's going to go away. I think the, it's hard to find cooks right now be, because nobody wants to become a chef because it's a, this goes all the way back to what I said in the beginning, because it's a blue collar job. It really is. It's really hard work. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But um, you think you're talking about the fame, you know, that they they are looking for and so on. But without like the right techniques and and uh, education, you know, do you think that they are going to last? That fame is going to last long? I think there'll be a percentage that will, but I think I don't think they're going to last long. I don't think they're going to open restaurants. I think if they're gonna, if you're going to open a restaurant, then that's different. That's two different. I guess we're talking two different conversations. I guess would be if you're going to open a restaurant, yes, you have to know what you're doing. You have to be able to move on your feet and think with you know with products. And ordering and all the things that no, that's not sexy and nobody wants to hear about is all the ordering and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I think if you want the fame of being a chef, it, it's absolutely achievable now. It's absolutely achievable to, to have, to be on TV. Let's just put it that way. And I wouldn't say fame of being a chef. I'll say if you want to be on TV in the cooking space, it's actually extremely accessible right now. But I think hard work, I mean, I, I honestly, not to keep talking, but it's like, I believe that hard work is something that you can't, no matter what it is, even if it's hard work researching recipes online to be to be a, a youtube chef which is fine i think that's still you still put in hard work to do that and i think once you achieve the tv moments and the stuff like that i don't think that goes away hard work i mean i still work the last i haven't had a day off in nine days and i've been working 16 hour days because we're just so busy and i'm running this other restaurant that i'm doing and i got a bunch of projects i haven't been on tv <laughs> you know what i mean i'm like i'm physically in the kitchen butchering pigs and uh, you know what i mean because i i also i also love it so i'm not I'm not trying to get up on a cross here. I actually do love it, but, but I kind of like that. I, I like not being the, fa- you know, the, the guy on TV. I like going back and, I mean, and I do this all the time. I work in the kitchen. When oh, I'm yeah. done filming, hey, I go right you, back in the kitchen. You're, you're a natural on TV, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> what everybody sure. says. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah. think it's because I haven't lost that ability about, um, I'm like, I literally, I'm not even exaggerating. The moment we stopped filming, the whole crew was like celebrating. They're like, oh yeah, we're going to do this. And what do you got to do? I'm like, Oh, when I fly back, I have a wedding of 220 and then I have this many in the restaurant. <laughs> then I have to go open this restaurant. They're like, really? You're not going to take a day off? I'm like, what? Yeah. Day off, <laughs> yes. like, what, what's that? <laughs> you know, I would like to pick up your brain. I do it with all the guests that I have on the show. And uh, I always focus on like an item. So like a food and then we say, hey, how can like a home cook, like someone foodies like myself, for instance, can prepare it that you know, item, that dish, you know, maybe with a, a, a Brad Miller twist. So let's maybe think about a burger. Like, uh, you know, everyone has a burger on, you know, on the menu. So what will be the suggestion for a home cook? How they can prepare an interesting, unique burger with a Brad Miller twist? Well, I actually, I have the answer for that. I don't even have to think about that one. <laughs> I have a little burger recipe. I don't, I don't know the portions or anything right now, but the burger recipe that I do, that I always have, that I, I always tell people, they're like, hey, how do I make this burger like delicious? What can I possibly do? And it's not something that you're going to do all the time, but it's definitely a mix that's like really great and makes it like very umami, makes your burger kind of taste meatier and kind of things of that nature. It has like a, it's basically a couple ingredients. It's 
take your burger meat. Uh, I would do a chuck and short rib. I do a 50-50 chuck and short rib grind. And always freeze, I always like par freeze your meat into cubes. Cut into cubes, not par, don't freeze it, but like get it really cold and then grind it and then mix in smoked paprika, like a little bit of smoked paprika, onion powder, garlic powder, and here's the kicker, a little bit of miso powder. Like when you're, like you're gonna make miso soup, like little packets, just a little bit of each, not too much. You don't wanna overpower the beef flavor, but these little ingredients, oh, and salt, of course. But these little ingredients like really bring out the flavor of the beef. It tastes really beefy. The smokiness of the paprika almost makes it taste aged a little bit. But it's like you have to do very like, I mean, for like a pound of a pound of burger meat, I would say like it's like a sprinkle of smoked paprika, sprinkle, you know, sprinkles of all these things, you know, like more than a sprinkle. I'd say like two sprinkles. But it really brings out the beefiness of your meat and it makes it have so much flavor. And also having the salt in there, it kind of makes it juicy. You get a really juicy burger and you get a really good bite. And then it doesn't matter what you put on top of that. You can just put cheese in a bun and it's going to be delicious. No, no sauce. That's a special sauce that you put in there. I would, well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a mayonnaise guy. I always have been. I, I would say Kewpie mayonnaise, Japanese mayo. That is the best mayonnaise in the world. I, I consider that and Duke's, uh, <laughs> Duke's mayonnaise and, and Kewpie mayo. I would say just that burger. I would say medium rare, two pieces of American cheese, not cheddar. American cheese just because for me, even though cheddar has more flavor, the American cheese just gives you that gooey, that gooiness, that old school memory of cheese. So I would do two pieces of American cheese, the burger, just brioche bun if you want, brioche bun, and then just mayonnaise and two in like I would say about three pickles. That's it. Okay. You put any super citrus? Simple, super any delicious. citrus on your mayonnaise beside, you know, of course lemon, but juice, but any, uh, no, I would say no. just the Kewpie mayonnaise because the okay. Kewpie mayonnaise is made with more egg yolks and it has a little sure. bit of acidity to it. Okay. Okay. It has a touch. Very cool. Thank you. Can you talk to me a little bit about your catering and consultancy? Um, you know, the brown and butter production. What What do you do there? So, brown butter productions is is it's kind of an all in one. We do catering, but we also do t- uh, television and film production. <laughs> so it kind of plays one. You know, you need the whole staff to do everything. You need to have a way to get a hold of lots of crew for both of them. So that's why it's kind of under one umbrella. So Brown Butter Productions is uh, my catering company that we cater all kinds of stuff, anything you want from one to, you know, a million people if you want. <laughs> we can make it happen. But also television and film producing is also Brown Butter Productions where we make video, we'll make videos, or we'll make uh, shorts or proof of concepts for Cooking Channel, Food Network, Quibi, you know, all kinds of stuff. And you're very much involved with it? Oh yeah, it's all it's all me. And then and then when when it gets to the part where I don't understand, I go, I call up my director. I'm like, hey, this is you now, or you know, you know, whoever. The cool thing about being in LA is like everybody. There's no shortage of talented, talented Correct. people. Correct. <laughs> the rapid fire questions. So you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Okay, I'm sure rapid you are. Rapid fire is up my alley, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> I talk fast. I think fast. If if you and I, you, you are, we are going into a little tasting tour in, uh, I mean, LA is probably too big. So I don't know. You have to find like an area that you want to take me to. And uh, of course, not your, your, not your location, but what would be uh, the five maybe location that we would go to? It could be a restaurant. It could be a food store. It could be a bar. So tell me. I would say, you know what? I would just give you this. I would say if you, if you came to LA, I'd say, Let's just head to K-Town. <laughs> Let's just head to Koreatown. And I don't even have to name any places. We're just everywhere you go is going to be just a food experience. Everything in K-Town is just blowing up right now. And there's some really authentic, delicious Korean food, Korean barbecue, and 
like just all, I mean, just all bao buns and all kinds of just amazing, amazing food in Koreatown to the point where everybody's doing a really good job down there. So we could just walk down there and you'd be amazed. What are like the three cookbooks that uh, inspire you the most in your career? I definitely, I mean, French Laundry is what, <laughs> is I got that my first year of culinary school. And I have, I have a first edition of it. French Laundry, I was like, wow, this is what made me, after culinary school, want to just jump into Michelin restaurants and not do anything else. Just go fine dining, extreme fine dining restaurants, which because Michelin wasn't everywhere back then. But just wanted to do really, really fine dining because it's just the French Laundry, man. That book, to this day, I, I, I go to that book all the time. I would say that La Russe Gastronomique is something that I, I, I go to a lot. And just, just to keep my knowledge up, just keep it going. And of course, I have a bunch of other books that I refer to for pastas and everything else. But I would say thirdly, it's culinary artistry. That slash flavor Bible. It's kind of fun to, I mean, I, we, you as chefs, we know what goes with everything. We know what goes with this, we know what goes with that. But sometimes you're just trying to make a dish and you're stuck. You're like, oh, let me go look up, let me just look at green beans. And you look at green beans, like this is all the things it pairs with. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot it pairs with creme fraiche and truffle. Oh yeah, you know what I mean? It's like a, it's, it, it really helps you get your juices going. So what's uh, your favorite guilty pleasure food? Oh, that's the easiest answer. I mean, that's the easiest question I can give an answer to. My, and it's very guilty, by the way. It's not just kind of guilty. This is an extremely guilty pleasure. Taco <laughs> okay. Bell. Taco okay. Bell. Taco Bell. And uh, Taco Bell, Crunchwrap Supreme, or uh, just a couple soft tacos from Taco Bell with their chemical-driven fire sauces. Oh my gosh, I was not expecting that. <laughs> it's, oh God, oh yeah. That's, I mean, that's the honest-to-God answer because I never do it because it's so, you know, it's Taco Bell. It's not great for you. And it's, you know, it's, you know, it's not something you're going to be able to run around and jump around in. But it's a very guilty pleasure of something that just is chemically engineered by man <laughs> to taste amazing. And it's funny because I thought I was the only one who says this. And then my friend Vartran, who has uh, uh, YT in Venice, he had 71 above, very fine dining Michelin chef. He was in an article the other day, uh, the other day and he said a Crunchwrap Supreme. I'm like, hey, that's me. That's mine. You can't take my guilty pleasure. He's like, no, I'm serious. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's that good. So <laughs> like, like, we kind of bonded over that. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm okay. like, I, I thought I said it first. But, uh, I think yeah, I haven't, I haven't had it, so I have to try it. Okay. Oh, it's, it's chemically engineered to be delicious. You're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> so what would be your last meal? I would definitely say homemade fried chicken. Okay. I think a lot of people say that, but it's just because it's if homemade fried chicken is just okay. done right is amazing. Okay. With a special, specific hot sauce or? <laughs> no, I would just, I want to enjoy, I want to flavor the flavor of the bread, the crust, flavor of the chicken, the juice. I want to have all that. I, I mean, I, I just want it plain. And that's all I eat it now. I just eat it plain. Okay. What's your biggest pet peeves in the kitchen? Laziness. That's my pet peeve, I think, in everything in life. But for, you know, just in general, laziness, I don't like, Fake hustle. I don't like fake hustle. That plays into laziness. I always describe what fake hustle is to people. Fake hustle is the person <laughs> running around the walk-in and then going here and then, oh, I'm chopping real fast. And, you know, I mean, kind of thing like that. Just running around and like really making it happen. Stay until one in the morning, but not getting anything done. You know, it's like, doesn't, I don't, that's fake hustle. Like uh, just showing up to work just to be there. Like, oh, and like, you know, typing, even if you're at, you work in an office, and you know, just typing at your computer, just being there, not really trying to, even if it, even if you don't like the job, I don't, I fake hustle to me. It's like, even if you hate your job, try to be the best you can at it. You know what I mean? Even if you hate it, try to be the best. So fake hustle is probably my, my pet peeve. I just, I want you to, if I, if I was going to be picking up, if I was going to be sweeping the floors, I would make sure the floors were spotless. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So the last one, when it comes to food, what turns you on? So here's the, here's the dichotomy between Taco Bell. Uh, <laughs> it's like, 
I'm a sucker for, I mean, honestly, you know, truffles, caviar, foie gras. I would say foie gras in pate form and in, you know, seared. The main ones, yeah, truffles, caviar, foie gras. That turns me on. That is good. I mean, I just had some golden ocetra caviar for our Valentine's Day menu that I paid $3,000 for for a couple pounds. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, I paid, and I was just, I mean, like a glutton, like a pig. I was yeah, yeah. shoveling caviar into my mouth. Okay. I was just so. eating caviar and I was enjoying my life. So after that, you need to go a month eating a Taco Bell then. Too bad. Yeah, exactly. I'll do, I'll do both. <laughs> That's, that sounds like a wonderful life to live. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, <laughs> Chef. Uh, really, thank you so much for your time. I, I was really excited to have you uh, on the show. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It's a great show. And uh, hope, hopefully, you know, people get a little more insight into what's going on in the uh, culinary world and in the food space and uh, the TV food space. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Flavors Unknown. If you like the show and want to know more about it, check the website flavorsunknown.com. You can follow us as well on Instagram or on Facebook at Flavors Unknown. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Join us next week with my new guest, Chef Drake Leonards from the restaurant Eunice in Houston. We will talk about the importance for a young cook to travel abroad, and we will chat about his Louisiana heritage and how he combines everything together with some European influences in his modern Cajun Creole brasserie in Houston. I see you in two weeks, and until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. You've just enjoyed another delicious episode of Flavors Unknown. Hungry for more? Hit subscribe. Tell us where you're listening from by leaving a review. And for social media and show notes, head to flavorsunknown.com.